the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. It is a delight to bring back a longtime friend. I think I've known him almost 30 years. Brian Kennedy, he is the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. He is the president of the American Strategy Group, presentdangerchina.org is the website and uh, apropos my monologue earlier today in the hearings uh, from two nights ago i wanted to distill and boil down some of this uh, with the uh, intelligence brian kennedy always brings to these matters brian welcome back to the airwaves of phoenix i hope you're doing well sir i'm doing well and it's great to be with you always thank you brian thank you I got your note earlier. I thought, what a joy. Well, thank you. I wish it was about happier things that we got together. Sometimes we do. Not today, probably. (laughs) Not today. Um, So I am happy that there is a select committee on the CCP, the Communist uh, Chinese Party or the Chinese Communist Party. Um, And I have been impressed, I think, with its chairman, Mike Gallagher. You guide me. Uh, I watched uh, and read some of the transcripts from the hearings that were aired in prime time. But it seems to me, Brian, there's there's a couple things going on. One, I, I don't see that much commentary about it. Uh, I don't think it had anywhere uh, the tug on the American people it should have, the pull or the hold. Um, and th- that's one thing that's going on, kind of a blithe attitude about all of this. And the other is kind of this subtle, and I was going to say slow, but it seems somewhat rapid, but this subtle adoption of the, shall we say, Chinese ideology, and maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but the Maoist ideology. So much that we worry about importing from them, I'm worrying about importing their ideas here, too. Say whatever you want about the hearings, and we'll take it from there, sir. Yeah, I think that's a very good observation on your part. Uh, excellent, actually. It was a little too, everything seemed a little too subtle yeah. to me. Yeah. And it had an unserious quality to it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I always go back to the fact that in May of 2019, the people, you know, People's Republic of China declared a war through the People's Daily, their, one of their journals of the Chinese Communist Party. It declared a people's war against the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was a very specific thing. They meant for the Chinese people to understand that things were going to be different here on on a going-forward basis, Mm -hmm. that they were going to be doing things vis-a-vis the United States that may require them to sacrifice. It was not going to be business as usual. Mm -hmm. That whatever their expectations were about the growth of the economy or or whatever modicum of, of... individual autonomy they have, that might change because of this people's war against the United States. They declared it. We did not react to it. Right. We as a country, not the Trump administration, not the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. Within six months of that declaration, you had COVID-19 spreading throughout the world. Within six months of that, you had lockdowns in America. 
and within six months of that or seven months of that, you had a new president. Right. Or, you know, our, our political system had been altered. Convulsed, and, even, yeah. Right. And so we did not react to that the right way. And one would have thought that when the Republicans took control of the House and you had a select committee on China, these would have been among the very first things said. Mm-hmm. Instead, Congressman Alger, who I think is a very good man, he he was a little too bipartisan mm-hmm. in his approach, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. It was a little too much back to the strategic competition. Al- almost as if that was the goal. I mean, to hear them talk about it after the fact, you heard more about the bipartisanship than you did the predations of China, as if this is what they were proud of. Kind of odd to me. Very odd. Very odd. And disappointing. Yeah. And it was clear that the, the minority leader... Um, the minority, you know, member, you know, Krish, Krishnamurti. Uh huh. Interesting name, Krishnamurti. Yeah. He um, went out of his way to say, "We're not at war. We don't want to be at war. We don't even want a cold war." Mm-hmm. They're serious. This is a problem. They're a threat. But you know, with, with all this war talk, you know, let's not let's not go there. Mm-hmm. I think one reason it's not gotten more attention is it didn't go there. Uh huh. I, either we're at war with communist China and Republicans, the Democrats alike, or the good of the country are going to say that, mm-hmm. or we're going to live in a world where, despite the fact that the Chinese declare war against us, we're going to do nothing. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, that's I think the problem both with the committee and the Congress more broadly, and our politics more broadly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and one could also be critical. Of the first two witnesses they had, they were Matt Pottinger and H.R. McMaster, both of whom served in the in the uh, Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Pottinger and McMaster are good men. They're patriots. They have served their country well. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to necessarily disparage them. I'm not disparaging their, their service to this country. But, but they were both a very odd choice for the committee's first witnesses. I thought so. Pottinger was one of the people who resigned after January 6th, as if, you know, it was it, it somehow to him was obvious that this was all Trump's fault, mm-hmm. January 6th, right. and therefore he, he, he had to resign. Right, he couldn't be part of a Trump administration. Yes, right. Yes. Anymore, for, right. for right. two right. more weeks. He had, he, had had it, he had had it up to here with yeah. four weeks to go. Yes, yes. right, right, two, right. Two weeks. Two weeks to go, right, 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 right. Couldn't do it. As much fun as he could take, yeah. His observations were, and many of his observations were good about China, but they seemed a little too passe. It was kind of like... Well, of course, they're a threat to the United States. You know, what else do we have to talk about today? Mm-hmm. Had that kind of a quality to it. Yep. And and didn't really strike me as ultimately very serious. And H.R. McMaster was also, why did they choose him? Well, he was one of those globalists within the Trump administration. Yep. Yep. And so they had to have a general. And everybody loves the general. Yep. And again, these are patriots who have fought for their country. I don't mean to disparage them. But not because, but you know, just because they're generals or former generals doesn't mean they, whatever they have to say about strategic issues is somehow from. Oh, that's right. No, you know, I don't remember but, people complaining when we fired generals like McChrystal or whatever for other reasons. Yeah, no, right, right, right. right. And McMaster—it's it's not an immunity and, badge. 
Right, and McMaster got up, I thought, in this committee meeting, and also just didn't, I mean, he, he understands that there's a threat, but just coming from him, it just doesn't sound very serious. Right. Or or it sounds like somehow, you know, I'm a general, we generals have this under control, when in fact we don't have it under control, and the Pentagon doesn't know what it was doing. And he went, he was in the White House, didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So this lack of seriousness, I mean, we who study, you know, political philosophy, Leo Strauss had that phrase about the, the study of politics, the modern study of politics. He says, they, they, you know, they're fiddling while Rome is burning, but they could be forgiven because they know not that they are fiddling nor that Rome is burning. Correct. It has that quality to yeah. it. And, it. And the fact is, that committee seemed like it was fiddling while Rome was burning. And they don't know Rome is burning. They don't know we're at war. And you know, See, I think you're putting your finger on it. I, I think you're putting your finger right on it. it. It almost was if it was a hearing just like any other kind of congressional hearing about any other given topic. You know, marginal tax rates or the deficit or, you know, chlorofluorocarbons. Uh, uh, it, it had that kind of feel to it. it just such a ho-hum thing. Let's get through this check the box, and move on. That's that's kind of the feel it had to it. And you're right. How do I blame the American people for taking it that way? Right, right. And and look, again, it was their first hearing. Sure. There's going to be more. It's going to be a select committee. It could be around for a while. They have plenty of opportunities to get better at this. Yeah. But as, as a first go-around, it was, it was not ideal. Yeah. And you're in, and you're in prime time. One might have said that we were at war with with communist China just for the rating. Yeah, I I say in kind of a cynical way. No, I, no, no. But they went into laborious pains to not say that it is is really the real problem. Let me put let me take a commercial break. I'm going to keep you a bit, Brian, if you have the time. But it does seem to me the major concerns over China are just not quite major enough, not fully absorbed and appreciated here enough. Not the concentration camps, not the slave labor, not the Belt and Road Initiative, not their tyranny, not their invasion of others, not their occupation of places like Tibet, not their surveillance state, not their arming and funding of enemies of ours, not their propaganda, not their theft of intellectual property, not their racism, not their energy and space and mineral dominance, not their crushing of religious liberty, not hardly anything. All under the constitution of a Marxist-Leninist state of one and a half billion people. Brian Kennedy and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brian Kennedy is our guest. He's the chairman at the Committee on the Present Danger China, president of the American Strategy Group. PresentDangerChina.org is the website. Before we get back to China, Brian wanted to know if he could weigh in on the question I was asking the audience yesterday. We were talking a little bit about that when we were talking about movies, most quoted movies, movies with some of the most famous quotes that, you know, are in the popular culture culled from those movies. He said he had a story. I don't know what it is that uh, the audience and I might like. Brian, uh, go right ahead. Feel free. I don't know where this is going, but you've got my attention as you always do, sir. Well, thank you. No, well... I guess, was it last week? I guess it was last week or probably a week and a half ago now. I was in um, I was in Washington, D.C. 
and I'd been subpoenaed by a federal grand jury. <laughs> and, and I wasn't, I'm not actually sworn to confidentiality about it, but I, I'm discouraged from talking too broadly about what was said. Okay. But that having been said, there was, you know, they go through all your, your correspondence. Sure. You know, this is all political, mostly, as you can imagine, related to yeah, yeah. The, elect, the election of 2020. But yeah. th- there's one email where I'm, I'm having a back and forth with, with a colleague, and there's a line in the email, and the prosecutor says, I'd like to read this line from this email. <laughs> and she says, quote, I am the president of the United States, clothed in an immense amount of power. Okay. Exclamation point. Yeah. She goes, what does that mean? <laughs> you I could have said, said well, it's a perfectly I, clear sentence, but what did you say? Yes, yeah. Yes. Well, I say it was, it was in quotes. Uh, she was, oh, she was, yeah, right. Puzzled by it. And I said, well, and this is in front of a grand jury of 24, apparently my peers. Yeah. And, and, and I said, well, you know, this colleague, who I won't mention, uh, he and I are both fans of the movie Lincoln by Steven Spielberg. Oh, the Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. movie, right. Okay, okay. Yes. Yeah. And there's that scene where, where Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln is, is really extolling his politicos who he's tasked with getting the votes for the 13th Amendment. Yeah. And he, he looks at these as his political operative. And I looked right at the grand jury and I said, I am the president of the United States closing an immense amount of power. Get me those votes. And the, and the grand jury looked at me kind of stunned. And I said, this, this is what Lincoln said to his political, you know, operatives when he was trying to get the 13th Amendment. Oh. And his colleagues. And so the, the grand jury was stunned. The prosecutor was stunned. Like, In service of the 13th Amendment, you told the D.C. grand jury. Who is this madman invoking Abraham Lincoln? Right. So that was that was my quotable movie. Oh, that is great. That is great. Oh, that's so funny. Good for you. Good for you. I love it. Let me um, let's uh, let's return to the China situation. Brian, we've been at this a long time. There's a lot of ways to look at it. Uh, And I think really maybe it starts maybe in a better day. It started with just taking a look at the Chinese Constitution, which makes no bones as to what they are about. Uh, In the preamble itself, they say the victory in China's new democratic revolution and the successes in its socialist cause have been achieved by the Chinese people of all nationalities under the leadership of the Communist Party of China and the guidance of Marxist-Leninism and Mao Zedong. Now, I say in a better day, that may have said all we need to know. I'm worried that today that just that kind of stuff just doesn't move anyone or doesn't move enough people or frighten enough people. But their actions in compliance with that thought certainly should. Um, It is affected. I think our relationship with China has affected us more than it's uh, negatively, more than it's moved China into a positive or negative direction. Uh, It's affected us in every institution from corporate America to the National Basketball Association, for God's sakes. Yes, no, I think that, I think that's right. Um, the Chinese, I think, look at us and they think we're people that all we care about is money. Mm-hmm. And so, if there's a elite group of Americans who all they want to do is make money, we're going to help them make money. Okay. Whether it's people in Wall Street or the Chamber of Commerce or what have you. Um, we're going to help those people because all this really is not really about money. It's about power. 
for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And for these Americans, if all they care about is money, well, we know how corruption works. We can corrupt these people. And they'll do our bidding because they're corrupt. Mm-hmm. And all they care about is money. Mm-hmm. And they won't see that all we care about is power. Mm-hmm. Because, because the Chinese believe that the West, being ultimately corrupt, and they believe racist, are looking somehow down on them. Mm-hmm. And so they think the West underestimates them. Mm-hmm. And they think we're corrupt. That's a very bad combination. And they think we're stupid. Mm-hmm. So the combination of those things is, is gives them a, a great advantage over American leaders. Because most American leaders can't really follow or can't appreciate what the Chinese are doing. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, the American people kind of kind of wonder to themselves, why are our leaders so compliant when it comes to communist China? Why are we why have we over two decades, four decades exported so many of our manufacturing jobs to communist China? Mm-hmm. Why would we do that? Mm-hmm. Why would we care so little about the well being of the American worker vis a vis the Chinese worker? Do Americans really need all these cheap goods? Right, this endless, you know, parade of consumer goods at low cost. Is this really the kind of thing that makes us happy? Why why are we doing this? And why are we doing this with a country that also is exporting to this country things like fentanyl mm-hmm. and killing over a hundred thousand Americans last year? Right? Right. Exporting the chemicals to, to to Mexico to be used to kill Americans. Yep. And yet another form of bio warfare what am I missing here if I'm an American citizen? And why aren't my policymakers concerned about that? The combination of all those things has causes has caused, I believe, a great deal of confusion, mm-hmm. which this committee chaired by Congressman Gallagher, it should be in the business of clarifying mm-hmm. all these things. Mm-hmm. It should be in the business of explaining. And they, I, I, just to be fair, I do think like the, the witness, Scott Paul, I think his name was, from the Manufacturers Association, he was very good at describing mm-hmm. all the Chinese nefariousness when it came to trade deals and manufacturing and all that. But we really do, with this committee, need to lay out for the American people the problems of a half century of bad policy vis-a-vis communist China, and also what are we going to do about it now? What really is the mindset we need? You know. Yeah, yeah. Let have. me. Yeah, that's a, that's what you're. You're very good on this. The mindset we need to be the war footing or whatever footing. I don't mean to lead the witness. The footing we need to be on to deal with this. Uh, let me take a break and uh, come back with you on that. You have time, right, Brian? You're good. With, yeah, you're good absolutely. on the clock. Brian absolutely. Kennedy is our guest chairman of the committee on the present danger China. Presentdangerchina.org. He and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brian Kennedy is our guest. He's the chairman of the Committee on Present Danger China, presentdangerchina.org. wanted to talk to you about the footing and the mentality and the psychology we should have in our relationship to China, uh, Brian. And maybe one way of getting us there is 
Talk to us about the name of your organization, Committee on the Present Danger China. Maybe the original Committee on the Present Danger kind of gets us into that realm of thinking that we need to be in, if I'm right. Yeah, thank you for that, Seth. The whole idea of the Committee on the Present Danger was that there were people within our government who believed things were more serious than than, uh, the American people were led to believe. You know, both the Korean War and the Cold War, and then it was there was an iteration of it during the War on Terror, and then now when it comes to China, and you always have the the popular narrative that the media is willing to spin, and maybe even the Defense Department and the State Department are willing to spin, whether it's the Soviet Union, um, radical Islam, or today communist China. And these committees on the present danger were begun because there were people both within the government and I would say near the government that thought the popular narrative is not true, that things were more serious when it came to the Soviet Union or radical Islam or communist China. And its, it's real purpose is to break through the media narrative and to try to describe for the American people and just how serious these things are. When it came to the Soviet Union, look, right after World War II, and even a decade or so later, Americans were not all that sold on the notion that the Soviet Union was an existential threat. Mm -hmm. It really took Sputnik, it really took, you know, even later the Cuban Missile Crisis for people really to take these things seriously. And and by then, you know, America is playing catch-up when it came to the kind of armament it would, it would need and the kind of military posture it would need to deter the Soviet Union and ultimately defeat the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Same is true of the war on terrorism. And, and today with communist China, the official, the official view of the State Department and even public administration is going to be that, yes, they're, the, the Ch- communist Chinese are very capable, but... You know, these are these are well within our capability to deal with, which is, which in part is true. But that essentially, don't worry, sit down, relax, you know, continue to consume. We've got this covered. Mm-hmm. When in fact, we may not be as prepared as we need to to deter communist China. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the purpose of our committee on the present danger is really to describe the fact that we're at war with communist China. We don't have a national missile defense, and at a time when they're building an ever more advanced strategic arsenal, we don't have adequate an adequate military or navy. The Chinese have fifth-generation fighters. They don't have as many as we do, but they're probably as good as ours. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, the Chinese, you know, they, they, they don't have pilots like we do well. The United States, for all of its virtues, we've not fought a pure competitor for over half a century. That's right. That's right. Right. So, you know, as great as we are, we don't know how great we are or, or how deficient we are. Right. And in, na- and in naval war games for the past decade, when it comes to the United States versus communist China in the South China Sea, the United States, however proficient we are and however proficient our ships and our airmen and our airplanes and fighter aircraft and what have you are, 
the Chinese have so much more that even if we knock out all their ships, even if we knock out a substantial amount of their ships, fighter aircraft, they still have more. Mm-hmm. And in the war games, we run out of ammunition. Our ships do. Because that just, you know, Mao said quantity has a quality all of its own. Yeah. That, that, that's what they subscribe to. We're just going to have more than, than you do. So if you want to come and fight us out here in China, South China Sea, we're going to outnumber you. We'll eventually win. And as we've said many times, I'd like to know the psychological impact to the United States if ever lost an aircraft carrier. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Let let me talk a little more psychology and history with you when we come right back. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, uh, this was a short segment, we'll have a longer one coming back, a little bit about the attitude, the different attitudes we had vis-a-vis the Soviet Union when there was an original Committee on the Present Danger and the attitudes now, Committee on the Present Danger China. You're doing more important work. And I think it's it's a heavier lift. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Uh, there were, of course, fifth columnists and there were apologists for the Soviet Union here. But it seemed like a lot of the country had a much healthier understanding of it, too, than we do now. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brian Kennedy is our guest. He is the chairman of the Committee on Present Danger China. PresentDangerChina.org is the website. We came in with some hollow notes. There's a big debate around these uh, precincts here, Brian, in my office studios uh, as to what constitutes classic rock. And part of the debate is whether Holland Oats constitutes classic rock. I don't know where you come down on that or if you even want to go public on that answer. Yeah, I think for the most part, I don't even want people to know if I've ever even heard of Holland. You don't even know who Holland Oats are, do you? That's good. I That's a good place even, to be. Yes, okay. <laughs> My producer Bill is saying, "Good man, <laughs> good man." Brian, let me let me talk about this present danger stuff and the psychology uh, for a moment. I didn't mean to say stuff in a demeaning way. Just the, everything that's embodying embodied in that notion. So, a friend of mine was reminding me about. The posture of the American political psyche one day she asked her mom if she could marry a uh, you know, as little girls do, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, said, is it okay if I were to someday marry a black person? Mom said, sure. Said, could I marry a Chinese person? Mom said, sure. Could I marry you know, an Indian person? Mom said, sure. She said, the only person you can't marry is a communist. And that kind of thought was, you know, whether articulated or not, fairly pervasive throughout America in a lot throughout the 50s and 60s and maybe even going a little bit into the 70s. Our posture towards the Soviet Union, as I was saying, sure, they had their apologists and their appeasers, um, to be sure. uh, But generally, the American view of the Soviet Union, I think, was fairly healthy. Um, I don't know if we can say it was a lesser threat than China. I'd be prepared to say that, but maybe not uh, by your lights. But it seems to me that whole psychology about what we healthily felt about communism and the Soviet Union, even with its appeasers and detractors, it's just not here with China. And I can't for the life of me understand why. Is it America has gotten soft about itself and has lost confidence in its own mission? Has China done such a good snow job on us? Have we detoxified um, the military threat coming from a Marxist-Leninist society. Uh, am I making any sense in this concern I'm raising with yeah. you? Yeah. No, I, th- I, th- I think you're raising a brilliant point. 
let, let me say this. I, I always think the American people are far farther ahead yeah. than, than their leaders. Yeah. That the American people looked at being allies with the Soviet Union during World War II for what it was, a, a marriage of convenience, mm-hmm. both fighting, mm-hmm. fighting Hitler. But the American people, I don't think, had that many illusions about the Soviet Union or who they were. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the educated elites in this country, including in Congress, including in the American military, including in, for instance, the OSS. Mm-hmm. And there, there's histories of the OSS where you know, the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor to the CIA, where a lot of those folks, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, 25% of that educated elite within the war effort would have thought of themselves as red, mm-hmm. meaning, meaning, if not literally communist, communist sympathetic, mm-hmm. or it was, it was been fashionable. Mm-hmm. To be to be that way, and so there was always this problem within the educated elite in America. Alger his types is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That, that educated elite who thought you know, they were sort of above, mm-hmm. the sort of lowbrow, mm-hmm. you know, democratic republic we live in, and the, the communists really were where it was at. Mm-hmm. So you know, you you have the intellectuals in in New York in the fifties and sixties who who you know are writing about this early progressives or late person, however you, however you want to phrase it. It took a while for Americans to truly understand the existential threat of the Soviet Union, okay. both the ideological war that was being waged and the potential for you know, a, a real war, an actual war, a kinetic war with the Soviet Union. And there were, you know, you and I have been in the think tank world for, for much of our lives. There were early think tanks that that were around the Committee on the Present yep. Danger, yep. that were going around the country giving lectures in the 50s and 60s, really trying to explain to people the Soviet threat, the mm-hmm. ideological threat mm-hmm. of communism. Mm-hmm. And it took a while among educated folks to get that going. Now, when it comes to communist China, we've somehow almost absorbed this cynical attitude that you know, are they really communist? Right. Do they really believe in communism, or is that just you know kind of a a remnant of, of yeah. you know yeah. the, the the revolution in 1949? They don't really believe it because they like making money just like us. Uh-huh. We all know Chinese people. The Chinese people we meet in America are nice, decent people, hardworking. Their kids are nice. They act just like Americans. Mm-hmm. The ones who are Chinese Americans. We don't look at them and think, ah, you know, they're different than us, because they're not different than us. Mm-hmm. And most Chinese Americans that, that we encounter just want the same thing that any American wants. Right. And they want freedom and liberty and what have you. So most of the time when we encounter them, we don't, we don't really appreciate the fact that they come from a country, which they've left and come here, they're part of the American experiment. They don't get that the elites that are running communist China actually want the destruction of the United States. They actually do want to spread their communist ideology around the world. They actually do believe Karl Marx was the greatest political thinker in the history of mm-hmm. mankind. Mm-hmm. And Matt Pottinger, in his video yesterday, or on Wednesday in front of the committee, he even showed that 
some of those where Xi Jinping is is praising Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. I thought that was mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. So so politically to them to each other, the Chinese explain the importance of communism and Marxism. We here in the United States, when it comes to our our political and financial elites, that all goes away, and we we all assume we're just here to make money. Yeah. And so Wall Street financiers come to American investors and say, "Hey, you really want to make some money? You got to invest in communist China." Yeah. And I, I, it's my hope that the committee will really dig into that. Good. Because because Americans have now invested in communist China some four to six trillion dollars yeah. of wealth. Think yeah. about that number for a moment. Yeah. If we actually dig it into a war with communist China, physical war, shooting war. That all that four to six goes away overnight. That's right, That's never to be seen again. And what what the Chinese have figured, along with our financial elites, is if we meld our two economies together enough, and we're just never going to fight a war because the Americans will be so co-opted. That's right. They're going to be so we're, we're going to be so deep into them, business wise. They're going to be so into us, business wise, that we just you know war is impossible, and. That's a pretty good strategy on their part. We're going to be so and deep they, into them, they're going to have American lobbyists on Capitol Hill fighting against any kind of sanction against China. Oh, wait, they already do, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Every well, major law firm, every major yeah, PR absolutely, firm. Absolutely, absolutely. Brian Kennedy, you're great. If the committee knew what it was doing, and I hope they do, they'll have you testify next. But you're always Thank welcome you, here. Your testimony is so appreciated. Thank you for your friendship and your brain. Thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. You betcha. I'm Seth Leapson. I'll be right back. Probably been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now. And if you still have some questions about what it could mean for you to invest with them, they'd love for you to give them a call and they can put you in touch with any number of uh, local area uh, folks who have been investing with them and doing just great. Their number is 888-Y-REFI-34. They'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing, and if you would like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed, you can invest with Y-REFI through an IRA or other qualified funds and keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. InvestYREFI.com. The word invest, the letter Y. REFY.com. Everything we're talking about or have spoken about with regard to the China threat, uh, it is interesting to me what animates the progressive left here in this country when it comes to civil rights and human rights and how much quicker and easier they find it to raise awareness about human and civil rights violations in the United States, which I think are more purported than actual, without saying nary a peep about the so overwhelmingly obvious and evident ones in so many of the interactions we have with China. Or for that matter, if you would like, Iran, I just got across the transom, uh, they noticed that uh, Time Magazine, to its credit, has named uh, Masi Elinajad as one of uh, their Women of the Year. I think they picked 12 Women of the Year, and Masi Elinajad, 
who is an Iranian expatriate who has been raising awareness for women's rights. She's been on this show, hasn't she, Bill? I'm pretty sure she has. And uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, been uh, she's hard to get in touch with because she's under government protection. Why is she under government protection in America? Because the Iranian government has twice tried to kill her here in America. That's why. That's why. In fact, several have been arrested and taken into custody for trying to kill her. So she's had to move around, even in America. That's how far the reach some of these evil empires have. They can reach into America and put Americans in fear of their lives. Anyway, it's just interesting to me what the progressive left focuses on. It's always blaming America first for the minor problems and minor issues, sometimes invented problems and invented issues, when the real and obvious ones are there for anyone to see who wants to shine a light on it. What are they doing? They're running around with fire extinguishers when there's a flood. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up. Sam Stone, when we come back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 